It's Thursday, December 24th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Earlier this year, America was running low on a crucial resource for coronavirus vaccines and drugs, monkey. The pandemic has created a huge demand for monkeys as research test subjects. There has been a drop in supply from China, which supplied 60% of monkeys imported into the U.S., and we were already dealing with decreased numbers. Sarah Zhang, writer at The Atlantic, joins us for how we are short on these animals needed for research. Next, the coronavirus pandemic has exposed a lot of flaws in the way business is done in the U.S. Flaws in the supply chain were evident all over. But the great toilet paper panic of 2020 shows us how something so mundane represents a complex supply chain. Because of what's called just-in-time manufacturing and distribution, toilet paper was only seen in limited quantities and manufacturers were still trying to play catch-up on back order. Manufacturers have also had to adjust their packaging, which is why you might be seeing fewer options out there. Jen Vietchner, senior writer at Fortune, joins us for why toilet paper was so scarce at the beginning of the pandemic. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Monkeys with COVID have to be kept in what are called animal biosafety level three labs. And the point is that, of course, you don't want this, the monkey to first infect humans. You also don't want the monkey to infect other monkeys in the colony, because if you infect all the monkeys in the colony, first of all, some of them might get sick and die, but then you also can't use them for research anymore. There's a really limited amount of space there in these particular labs. There's only a certain number in the U.S. So this, this is kind of like an additional logistic problem on like just the pure number of monkeys. Joining us now is Sarah Zhang writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. Good to be here. Throughout this whole pandemic and the rush to get therapeutics and vaccines, there's been one interesting thing that you wrote about that I never thought about before is we need a lot of animals to test some of these things on, testing vaccines, testing other medications. And one of the main animals that we use are monkeys. And throughout this whole thing now, we're realizing that there's actually a big shortage of monkeys that we use for scientific research. Sarah, tell us a little bit first, what kind of monkeys we use in scientific research of this nature to develop vaccines and whatnot. And then beyond that, why are we experiencing this shortage? Monkeys are typically kind of the last step before a human clinical trial. So the way development for a vaccine or a treatment might work is that you might start with mice or ferrets or hamsters, and you go to something closer to a human, which are monkeys, and then you finally go into humans. The species are usually used in a lot of biomedical research. There are two species in macaques, rhesus macaques and cyanomogus macaques. And the reason we're experiencing shortage is threefold. Well, first is just we're in this pandemic, right? So there's just like a huge interest in testing therapies, testing vaccines, testing possible drugs. So there's just like a huge demand. And the second reason is supply related, which is that a lot of the monkeys that get used in biomedical research in the U.S. actually come from China. China is a big supplier of monkeys for biomedical research around the world. Last year, the U.S. imported about 35,000 monkeys total. 60% of them came from China. And when the pandemic started, China actually just shut off all exports. So you can imagine this is thousands of monkeys that would normally be coming here being used in experiments, and they're not here anymore. The third reason, a little bit more subtle, is that there has kind of been ongoing shortages and difficult getting monkeys for lots of researchers over the past few years. This has to do actually with the fact that funding for primate research can be hard to come by in the U.S. and it's expensive. And a lot of the kind of breeding and energy has in fact shifted to China. Specific to COVID-19, monkeys that are infected with that are kept in special labs because they don't want anything to get out. So special labs that have ventilation requirements so things don't get out. 
and there's a limited number of those as well. Uh, monkeys with COVID have to be kept in what are called animal biosafety level three labs. And the point is that, of course, you don't want this, uh, the monkey to first infect humans. You also don't want the monkey to infect other monkeys in the colony, because if you infect all the monkeys in the colony, first of all, some of them might get sick and die, but then you also can't use them for research anymore. So there's a really limited amount of space there in these particular labs. There's only a certain number in the U.S. So this, this is kind of like an additional logistic problem on like just the pure number of monkeys. There's a lot of other animals that are used, as you mentioned earlier, not just monkeys. But one of the other things they say, you know, with regards to COVID-19, maybe they're not the best animal model for the disease because specifically they usually only get mildly sick from COVID-19. So if we want to study the most severe effects, they might not be the right one. And as you mentioned, it was kind of a we could see this coming, the shortage coming, but there's so much that goes into it. Breeding more monkeys here in the U.S. would take a long time. It's very expensive. We just don't have that infrastructure set up to house and care for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think um, what we're seeing because we're having this current crunch is first scientists thinking about creative ways to use fewer monkeys. So one of the things that they're talking about is that there's kind of a network of nationally funded national primate research centers around the country that are kind of like the locus for a lot of the academic research involving non-human primates. So what they're talking about doing is sharing controlled arms. And what that means is that usually when you run an experiment, you give some number of monkeys, for example, the new drug. And then you have a control arm, which is the monkeys that you don't give them anything. And this kind of gives you a baseline for comparison. So what they're talking about doing is like sharing control arms between different labs so that you can use fewer number of monkeys total. Another issue is, as you mentioned, you know, can we use other animals? Primate research is usually not kind of undertaken lightly in the U.S. because it is very expensive. And even in normal conditions, you can only get a limited number of animals. So a lot of times you have to think about what exactly about the disease we want to study. And are primates the best example of that? And as you were saying, monkeys tend not to get very sick with covid so if you want to study like a really serious illness, like you want to study if a drug will work in people who are so ill that they need to be in a ventilator, maybe monkey is not the best model or certainly not the best first model to go into. On the other hand, in some ways, the fact that they don't get seriously ill is actually reflects what happens in humans, right? The vast majority of humans who get COVID also don't get seriously ill. So, you know, in some ways, this is saying it's not great to study a serious, like a model of serious illness in monkeys, but maybe that also kind of reflects their closeness to us. The phrase that gets used a lot in scientific research is non-human primates, which is also kind of a funny phrase because it kind of reminds us, oh, we are also primates. We have to say that these have to specify these are non-humans. And one of the other difficulties, and this is kind of the sad part with regards to COVID-19 specifically, we can't reuse those monkeys in other studies. They actually euthanize those just to prevent spread to other monkeys or even other humans potentially. So the cost just kind of keeps going up with all of that. Earlier, we were talking about how the monkeys with COVID have to, be, have to be kept in these special biosafety lab spaces. The problem, as scientists told me, is that you can't take them out, which is why you have to euthanize them, because once you take them out, there's the fear that they could spread to humans or that they could spread to other monkeys. And as we we're talking about, like if it spreads to the rest of the colony, you could have like a problem on your hands. Sarah Zhang, writer at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. If you think about something like toilet paper, 
you know, it's an extremely consistent demand, usually, right? It's kind of the epitome of a recession-proof product. No matter if times are good, if times are bad, people are pretty much using the same amount of toilet paper. It's just a matter of where they're using it. And this time it's at home. But because it's so easy to predict demand, usually, it's been this prime candidate for just-in-time manufacturing. You know exactly how much you need to order to put it in your warehouse because you already know how much you're going to sell in normal times. And it's really, really expensive to store more than that. Joining us now is Jen Vietchner, senior writer at Fortune. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. One of the most curious things throughout this whole coronavirus pandemic was the toilet paper shortage that happened and all the panic buying that was going on. I think in your article, Jen, you referred to it as the great toilet paper panic of 2020. And in some ways, it's still ongoing. I was just at a few different markets this past week, and supplies are very limited, if at all, in stock. I was at Costco. I didn't find anything. The only place I really found some was at a little corner market by my house. So that's where I've been getting it from lately. But throughout this whole process, this is one of the most interesting stories that has to do with supply chain and demand. And as I mentioned, panic buying. And Jen, you did a deep dive into the toilet paper industry. It was actually really, really interesting. Jen, tell us a little bit about what happened with this whole mess. You know, it's so surprising because you expect to be able to go to the store and find toilet paper. I don't think people really even give that a second thought. You know, it's something we take for granted. And at the beginning, everyone said, don't hoard, stop panic buying. There is no shortage. But it became very clear, and it's very clear now, that there is a shortage. And there absolutely was. And it's not even just panic buying. It's the fact that people need more toilet paper at home. So all the toilet paper you might otherwise be using at work or if you were traveling or going to restaurants, now you're using that at home. And so by some estimates, you're using 40% more than you would at home. And all kind of the consumer brands like Charmin, like Cottonelle, the kind you would use at work is totally different brands made by totally different companies. So the manufacturers of the stuff you're using at home, like Kimberly Clark, which makes Cottonelle and Scott and Procter and Gamble, which makes Charmin, they're seeing huge increased demand. And so if everybody's using 40% more at home than they otherwise would, and even buying more than that to have it in stock so they don't have to go to the store as often, then these producers are seeing huge increases. So if the store like Walmart or Costco is seeing 5x more demand than usual, that's hitting the producers kind of in a snowball effect. So they're seeing 500x increases in demand, and there's just no way that they can keep up with the production. Even those companies are actually going through any buffer supply, anything they had on hand, they've been selling even what they might normally keep just in yeah. case. So they've been going below even the low thresholds they already kept of toilet paper. And that's why it's so hard to find. So you mentioned Costco. Costco isn't even getting the full amount of toilet paper that it's ordering to keep up with demand. So they've actually had to stop selling it online because it's on what's called allocation. Allocation is usually something that they would do for the season's hottest video games or a really, really popular toy come Christmas. Now they're doing that with toilet paper. So stores can only get a fraction of what they're ordering, even places like Amazon. They're not even getting the full orders. Right. And that's why it's still so hard to find even months into this thing. Yeah. I mean, I just went on Amazon earlier today to just to see what it was like. You can't get any really of the regular size packaging. The first thing that came up was a 
box for professional bulk boxes for businesses of 60 rolls, things like that. So you can start getting some of that stuff, but not kind of the regular stuff. And you were mentioning how some of the estimates were that people might need as much as 40% more toilet paper for their occasions. That's what the industry calls them, which is pretty funny. But sales were up nearly 71% year over year in these last few weeks. They were just running at a deficit there. And a lot of what has to do with it that you wrote about is this kind of really complex supply chain. It's called just-in-time manufacturing and distribution. And because toilet paper is so big and hard to keep in a warehouse or something like that, they really only manufacture just enough for maybe two to three weeks of a supply because they can constantly keep making it, but it's a little less cost-effective to hold large amounts of it. Tell us about just-in-time manufacturing and how that whole thing works. Well, that's exactly right. So, I mean, if you think about something like toilet paper, you know, it's an extremely consistent demand, usually, right? It's kind of the epitome of a recession-proof product. No matter if times are good, if times are bad, people are pretty much using the same amount of toilet paper. It's just a matter of where they're using it. And this time it's at home. But because it's so easy to predict demand, usually, it's been this prime candidate for just-in-time manufacturing. You know exactly how much you need to order to put it in your warehouse because you already know how much you're going to sell in normal times. And it's really, really expensive to store more than that because, you know, think about it. It's huge. It's bulky. Even in your own cabinets at home or closets, you probably can't even store that much because people only have limited square feet. And so if you think about that on a warehouse scale, you know, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Walmart, they don't want like a mountain of toilet paper taking up all this space. So they're going to order just what they need for the week, maybe two, three weeks, and then they know they can get more coming in after that. But because everything sold out so quickly, they sold out weeks worth of supplies in about two days. And because of that, the manufacturers just can't keep up with that. And so they're going to be still running behind. And so this just-in-time manufacturing has completely fallen apart in the pandemic because the demand that people, you know, and the buying habits that people are buying so much toilet paper, just that behavior has completely upended the entire demand supply balance. So you can no longer predict how much people are going to buy. And when they're going to the store, like you said, when you see just one or two packages on otherwise empty shelves, people are just going to grab it because it's like a rare commodity now. So a lot of these companies have increased their production but they're still kind of running at such a deficit that they have so many back orders that they need to fill. So there will be this kind of shortage, ongoing shortage for a little while now, which is kind of unfortunate. (laughs) But the other part of it is people will just say, well, hey, why can't they just make more, get some new machines or something like that? But that isn't really cost effective either. I think an additional paper machine would require an investment of up to $300 million for some of these companies. They're huge machines. They're so expensive. A paper machine might be two stories high. You know, and to come to build that kind of facility, it's just this huge investment. And part of it is, again, the bulky factor. Where are you going to keep it? How are you going to produce it? Or something that's just physically smaller, like Tide detergent or soap, you can produce that. You might just be able to open up one more assembly line to fill those bottles of detergent for only a few million dollars, under 10 million probably, whereas paper is just so much more space consuming that they need these big facilities and it's a much bigger investment. And if you think about it, no company is going to put down a $300 million investment just to keep up with demand for the duration of the pandemic, which come a year from now or maybe 18 months, hopefully 
probably isn't going to still be our reality. So that investment isn't going to pay off. So there is physical limits to how much companies can produce, as well as just how much they're willing to produce, because nobody wants to be stuck with a huge amount of extra toilet paper. I'm sure you don't want to, I don't want to, neither does Walmart, you know, neither does P&G or any of the manufacturers. And one of the interesting notes in your article too, is how really thin the profit margins are with this. I like the little note, toilet paper really does grow on trees, mostly from eucalyptus trees in Brazil, which is just an interesting side fact of all of this, but importing it from all over there and this kind of thins out the margins. So making a whole new machine, just not really cost effective for a lot of these companies. What paper is made out of, it's called pulp. That's the commodity that goes into that. And so there are market prices, but at the same time, you can only raise the price of toilet paper so much before you get accusations of price gouging. People aren't going to just pay more for toilet paper because it's in higher demand. Consumers just aren't willing to do that. And so in order to keep this good cheap, the entire industry has cut costs wherever they can. I mean, if you think about it, people are ordering toilet paper online. It's pretty cheap already, and yet you have to ship it. So they have to cut costs wherever they can. And so that's why they're going to Brazil, simply because those eucalyptus trees grow faster than the trees that you might find in the US and Canada. So you can get a a hundred foot tree in something like six or seven years, whereas that might take 80 years in North America. And so the fact that they grow fast, they even grow faster than corn, makes them cheap, which enables companies to keep those margins down. And that's also why, you know, talk about the just-in-time manufacturing. You don't want to be paying for extra space to store it. You want to have the fewest people you know, on the most efficient machines as you can, and you are already running those machines as much as you possibly can, because once you put the investment, you don't want them sitting idle for a third of the day. So these machines under normal times are already running something like 92%. During the pandemic, that's actually increased to 99.8%. So they're shutting off the machines as little as they possibly can. They've even reduced the number of different kinds of toilet paper they've produced. You know, So you might have ultra strong and ultra soft, but not gentle care or something like that, just because <laughs> you have to turn off the machines. So the machines are running basically 24-7 as efficiently as they possibly can to save money and to produce as much as they can. Yeah. And things might not go back to normal the way they once were. As you mentioned, the different types of toilet paper, I think Kimberly Clark with the Continental and Scott, they reduced from making these 12 roll packs to doing six pack rolls and they might kind of continue with that. So you might not see the same variety once kind of the pandemic cools down. So that's how a lot of these manufacturers are adjusting to what's going on. Well, that's what's so interesting. You know, it's they've really even discovered how to save more money during this and one in how to be more efficient. And one of those ways is just to reduce the amount of different kinds they make. And so then they have to turn off the machines fewer times and can keep them running longer. And they said, well, hey, that's actually more efficient. One interesting comment from P&G is that just the social distancing requirements that they've put in. So whereas they might have 12 people normally working on a factory line, they now have six. And so the other six people can go and work an additional shift. Well, that's much more efficient because you can get more productivity out of the same amount of people. So there's going to be a lot of changes that these companies are making after the pandemic in terms of cost savings, in terms of how they can be more efficient based on what they've learned in this crisis. Jen Vietchner, senior writer at Fortune, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.